0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, required, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to the Art Studio. This may be the first Art Studio show for many listeners. That being the case, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Dan Burke, your host. And I'd like to thank you all for listening and uh, coming in today and, you know, spending your time with me in the art studio. The art studio is about art, writing, being creative, and all sorts of things. Over time, over the last seven years, it has evolved into talking about my personal thoughts, About all kinds of things. And uh, that has led the topics of discussion in many unique directions, which has been exciting. That being said, it being 2017, can you believe it, uh, I have launched a Patreon. If you go to Patreon slash Art Studio, up will come the Art Studio with Dan Burke. Anyway, I invite you all to go over there and contribute to my Patreon, and I thank you in advance for doing so. Uh, I, of course, will use the money for wild parties, traveling, and a very extravagant lifestyle, but we'll get to more of that in the future. I'm still watching with amazement as the media completely flounders and just seems to do nothing but lash out and create more lies and BS. One of the things that's circulating right now is Julian Assange, the guy who is running WikiLeaks. An interview was done with him with Sean Hannity just a day or two ago. What's interesting is how... The media presents this guy. Basically, he's a criminal and a terrorist to to the United States. And uh, he is considered a spy divulging secrets. And no one has ever questioned the truth of what WikiLeaks has revealed. They've only questioned whether it should have been done so. In a world where there's very little transparency about things, especially when it comes to the media, uh, it's very hard to figure out what the hell to believe. But I have to say, because I watched the interview, I was actually really sad for this guy. It seems like in his pursuit of revealing the truth, he has sacrificed a great deal, and uh, that makes me sad for him that someone like that has to sacrifice so much and others, of course, have sacrificed. Basically, I guess, if somehow you learn some secret about the United States and you reveal it, well, you're revealing state secrets, right? And uh, could potentially harm the United States in some way and you uh, will be punished for that. You're regardless of whether you have revealed the truth. I think there was a thing where it was revealed that, uh, I think, journalists were killed, and then the government covered it up, and uh, revealing that, the fact that the government covered up the killings, is a crime. Now, there's all kinds of extraneous circumstances why the government would, might need to cover up some kind of military operation. But I have to believe that mistakes are made in the theater of war, and that's pretty much how it goes. If you walk through a war zone, the potential for being killed is always there, even by mistake. So it would be hard to believe that we would intentionally kill journalists, but it is easy to believe that we would cover it up for one reason or another, and many things are covered up. It's hard to really know what to believe. I think one of the big ideas that floats around in my head is that corporations, which have been declared status as human beings and now can live forever, immortal human beings who don't have to pay taxes, pretty much control the whole world. We've shifted into a money-based society economy. It's always been that way, but the money's now in the hands of the corporations, which is another way for saying very rich people. And the rich people have figured out one way after another to siphon money off of people and to make it almost impossible for the average person, in my opinion, to earn a living in some respects. Even being educated now, you become an indentured servant to the system. And that whole thing is really, really discouraging. And, I, and I'm and i not sure what to do about it. It's, it's funny when you see someone like Bernie Sanders come forward and talk about these issues, how the media and the other people in government absolutely uh, malign him. You know, say his ideas are stupid, pie in the sky. How will we pay for it? And all these other kind of ridiculous things they say about it, and yet we're able to pay for endless war, uh, endless CIA, you know, endless perks for the senators and the representatives. I mean, seems we have, no one ever raises their hand and says, hey, how about, you know, we take care of regular people. The whole system is is set up to not do that. It's set up to do something different. And I'm not sure how the system can be fixed. We live in a really weird time. But I think, believe it or not, that the United States will essentially go on just the way it's been going on, more or less. Now, things can change. I think one of the biggest changes uh, after they got Bush out of office and Dick Cheney, when Barack Obama went in there, is how... He felt about marijuana regulations. He hasn't had the federal government pursue uh, judicial action against states that have legal marijuana when they actually could, since it's illegal federally. They could shut the whole thing down overnight or prosecute anyone they wanted because it's federally not legal. But Barack Obama has chosen not to do that. But a new administration could come in and completely change that overnight. So there are things like that that can go left or right depending on the administration and many other things because the government funnels billions of dollars into companies for all sorts of research or this or that. And that funneling of money creates conduits of power and influence and all kinds of other stuff and creates a big circle jerk of it because the people who get the money Pay back into the system to help keep the people who are in power in power and they don't really have much power when you think about it basically our government has come to the point that the republicans want to prove that government doesn't work so they're making sure government doesn't work by doing it and then going see we showed you government doesn't work so it's been a hell of a system that's been running now. Uh, you know, the President can nominate somebody for the Supreme Court, and basically the Republicans go no, not even going to talk about it. The whole system has become broken. There is not a system of checks and balances to actually coerce the you know, our politicians into doing their job. You know, how do we actually get the Senate to pass reasonable budget bills? How do we actually get them to actually entertain real bills and not create fake bills that they know are going to get struck down just to make a statement and all this other nonsense? You know, they've got to get down to the business of legislation, and they're not doing that, and they're not going to do that, and they've expressed it. So it's basically come like this crazy blockade politics, and they just point fingers at each other back and forth. That seems to me to be the landscape of the system we have now. It's really not a matter of, of almost even political party anymore. The whole thing has been screwed up in order to stop any kind of legislation going forward that could promote helping of people like you and me, regular people. Meanwhile, there will be legislation passed and or ignored so that no new legislation is passed to help people that run the stock market or pharmaceutical companies or private prisons like they they didn't they were going to outlaw private prisons or get rid of them and now they mysteriously forgot to vote on that bill or that lapsed something like that happened and now private prisons will go on so it's that kind of thing even through their inaction action takes place so we get to keep private prisons and uh, our government <laughs> pays you know absorbing the amount of monies for prisoners in terrible conditions. It's crazy. Huh. 217 is going to be a very interesting year. I've got some fun projects in my mind. I've got some ideas to do things that I've wanted to do. I've been discussing this on the show, and we will get into that in more detail in future shows. Right now I'm working on a book uh, that I've kind of let vacillate for months. I've just completed page 10 and I'm working on some more pages. I'd like to get this thing done. I've been reading the life story of Herb Trimp and it's really fascinating where he came up in the Marvel era. It's also interesting to remark about Herb Trimp that besides being a great artist and a great Hulk artist is that he was able to morph and change his style. He drew very accurately, believe it or not, like Jack Davis. But because he had to follow more or less the Marvel House style, he developed that wonderful style he developed throughout the 60s and the 70s. But then later, he flipped his style to a completely different style, then flipped it again and again. He almost has a Mobius open line style uh, at the end of his drawing career. It's absolutely fascinating looking at that kind of progression. And the thing about it is, is the way he talks about it is, is he's like a mimic. He uh, never considers himself a great artist, just the kind of guy who expanded on what he thought the marketplace wanted. So it's very interesting. Uh, it seems to me that he could have drawn anything. He had a wonderful sense of proportion and style and inking. He, uh, and uh, much like Wally Wood and other people who seem to be able to ape other people's style, which is a very particular skill. You know, Jack Kirby was an amazingly talented and fast artist. But I don't think he was, you know, was aping other people's styles or could do that. I'm not sure that was his thing. But I think Herb Trimp, much like Wally Wood, could morph his style. He was that good, that that uh, much skill and virtuosity. So I find that really interesting. And Herb Trimp never got to, quote unquote, meet Jack Kirby, believe it or not. But he worked in the office when Jack Kirby would come in and out with his pages. And he said one of the neatest things about Jack Kirby was was sometimes Stan would uh, ask for a redraw or a correction and rather than go home and draw the corrections Jack Kirby would sit down right there in the office and draw the corrections and he said that everybody would gather around Jack Kirby and watch him draw because he drew so incredibly fast he would knock out all the corrections in just a couple minutes and then leave and it's, it's pretty amazing. And another thing is, is, if you ever follow the Jack Kirby story, they pretty much ignore him and they kind of almost force him to leave Marvel due to their ignoring him, not offering him a contract, medical benefits, all sorts of things. Jack makes the jump to DC almost because they treat him so badly that he has to. Meanwhile, over at Marvel, Martin Goodman sells the company to a corporation, and that corporation makes things pretty good for the incoming uh, staff. And Herb Trimp works right through these transitions from Marvel being owned by Martin Goodman, which is basically a mom-and-pop organization, all the way to one corporation after another owning it, including Revlon, if you can believe it. And he talks about all these different incarnations of Marvel through in working in the corporations, he was talking about how great it was to work at Marvel in the early 70s. It's too bad Jack Kirby never got to benefit from any of that. Because from reading from Jack Kirby's point of view, it was never that good at Marvel. No 401ks, nothing like that. But Herb Trimp talks about it quite differently. He had a very good 401k in the early 70s. And he would put in as little as 2-3%. Two and the company would match it with 30%. 30%? They would just conjure up money and drop it into your 401k. Of course, those days of good corporations and taking care of their workers is long gone, but it's absolutely fascinating listening to him tell his story. The whole book is about really a series of interviews with him and other people, and you get his point of view. And I'm glad that his life was so well documented so we could get his point of view and his you know, uh, take on what was happening around him at the time and previous. So it's uh, really interesting. Another interesting thing is Herb Trimp was an extremely prolific guy, like many of the people are. He basically drew around ten pages a week, plus other chores, inking covers, and so on, because he was a full-time staff artist. And besides, he he he, the point of this is that he f- forgot tons of work that he drew. He would see books and things that he drew and go, Oh, I completely forgot ever drawing that. I have no recollection of it because he was drawing things so fast. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine pumping out a bunch of books and things and so forth? And then totally forgetting that you drew, you know, three or four issues of agent of shield, which he did. That's a true story. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, the prolific artists. I I think another point of that is that they're all prolific. Unless you were fast, you really couldn't draw fast enough to earn a living in comics and thus stay with it. If you were a slow plotting artist, even if you were good, it didn't really work out for you. You know, if you were Barry Windsor Smith and you know, it was painstaking for you to produce art or like Steranko comics was really not a good fit for you because you couldn't produce enough work quick enough to make a buck at it. And I think a lot of great artists probably have had to walk away from comics due to this fact. Uh, it's an intense thing. And, but some people, literally, like, you know, Jack Kirby, Matt Baker, and others, came to the point where they could just sit down and draw, draw a car, draw a helicopter in any position, any style, draw people going this way, that way, holding guns, leaping. They had an unbelievable vocabulary locked in their memory and the ability to draw beautifully, quickly, uh, with very little sketching. And it's quite a skill that can develop in somebody after, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of it. But part of it is also a God-given skill. I really believe that. I think some people just are more naturally gifted at it. And when they practice for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, they really come to a different kind of level, you know, they're like ninjas or something, so I think there is some real, uh, you know, meeting of skill versus tenacious hard work that creates artists like Jack Kirby and Wally Wood and so forth, the sheer amount of work that they do uh, at such a high level uh, really creates a hell of an artist, (laughs) it really does, I'm not sure we have anything comparable to that today. Is there people who draw that much on a weekly basis? You know, 10 comic book pages? It's hard to believe or hard to imagine. 217. Wow. Can you believe it? Already here. Things are just rolling along. It's, it's amazing. Well, I hope all of you guys are having a great day in your art studios. Keep drawing. Keep creating. Keep doing your thing. Don't let anything stop you. And uh, I'll keep doing the same. I've got a bunch of art I want to do today. I've got some writing. I'm snowed in. It took me almost six hours to shovel my car out of the driveway yesterday so I could drive to the store and buy some food. So it's been quite an adventure here. And it looks like that's going to continue. One more reminder, I have launched a Patreon. It's over at Patreon slash art Studio. If you want to go over and support the show, throw in some shekels there, and uh, it's a monthly charge. So if you throw in $5, you get charged $5 a month. And again, I want to thank you in advance for doing that. Uh, I think it could be a good thing for the show to have some financial support. It certainly couldn't hurt. And again, I will go into uh, detail about what I'm going to do with all the money, Uh, but (laughs) I do appreciate you guys. I really do. And I just appreciate people that listen. You know, one of the best things you can do with the art studio is share the show to other people if you think it has value for you. That's always a good thing. And uh, if you have questions, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me and uh, ask them. Speaking of questions, (laughs) before I sign off, I should answer one. Somebody wanted to know where they felt the best place to publish a book was now. I guess it all depends on your end result, but I think that CreateSpace is probably the best inexpensive place to print a book right now. Now, the quality of the books is okay. They're soft-bound books, and uh, they print in color, black and white, and and they're fine. But they're not super slick or anything like that, and uh, I think if you want really beautiful reproduction... You should go somewhere else to get your st- stuff printed, but you don't have the advantage of being sold on Amazon.com. That's one thing. If you create a book on CreateSpace, they automatically sell it over on Amazon, and they do all the fulfillment and all that stuff for you. You don't even have to touch it, and the books are reasonably inexpensive, so you could make a book for $3, $4 and sell it for $10 and make a few dollars. So there is the option there. and that, So anyway, that would be my recommendation. If you wanted to print a book, you know, this year, right now, I would use CreateSpace uh, because the advantage is you're on Amazon and you get to sell there. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Uh, carry on in your art studios. My goal is to come back here at least once a week and do a show. Not sure what day it's going to be. I'm going to fit it in around my schedule. But there may be more shows than that. We'll see but I'm trying to commit to at least one show a week. Reach out to me, say hello, don't be shy. Uh, Thanks for all the Facebook shout-outs. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's, and I do appreciate that. Have a great day. Bye-bye.